AgBioscience is supported by Indiana Farmers Insurance. This is AgBioscience. Welcome and thanks for joining. I'm Mitch Frazier, CEO of Agronovus Indiana. And this is the podcast where we explore all things AgBioscience, the people, the products, and innovations across food, animal health, plant science, and ag tech. Discussions around the energy transition often focus on electrification, but one company and thousands of farmers are working together to create new options in that transition, specifically around biofuels. Today's guest is a longtime energy leader, chief executive of one of Indiana's largest privately held companies. This is going to be awesome. Welcome, Matt Smorch, CEO of Countrymark to Ag Bioscience. Matt, welcome. Good to see you. Great. Good to see you, too. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, thanks for investing the time, Matt. You have been an energy business mogul. For more than two and a half decades, now you serve as a chief executive, really cool agricultural cooperative country mark. Before we dig into the work that you're leading, Matt, we got to learn more about you, your story, working with farmers, share more about your journey to the top spot at country mark. Well, first of all, that's the first time I've ever been called a mogul, hey, which, is, which is awesome. <laughs> that's great. Um, so no, originally I'm, originally I'm from Michigan. And uh, I went to school at Michigan Tech up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And I actually went there to play football and awesome. I became a chemical engineer. So uh, I met my wife up there and uh, graduated and then got into the refining business. Started my career with uh, Amico, which is no longer around. Mm-hmm. Uh, bounced around to a couple of places. I've lived in North Dakota, which is probably the coldest place in the world. And, uh, <laughs> and then made my way to... Uh, to Countrymark about 22 years ago. And I worked down at the refinery and, uh, and Countrymark, great, unique company, really have, have wore a lot of hats at the company, worked at the refinery for uh, several years and then came up to uh, Indianapolis and did strategy and did some acquisitions in the upstream, did supply, marketing. So kind of gone through the whole gambit before getting the, um, the CEO position in 2020. That's exciting. Your story with Countrymark, Matt. Countrymark is such an interesting organization, over 100 years old, built by farmers. Give us a sense. What what is Countrymark? How does it operate, its structures? And what are the product lines that you and the team are advancing? Yeah, you know, Countrymark, that's the the history of Countrymark is really what is is really attractive to our organization. I mean, we've been here for over 100 years. What a lot of people don't understand is that there's oil in southern Indiana, southern Illinois, and uh, western Kentucky. And back in the 40s, or in 1939 is when oil was discovered. Wow. And the, and the co-op was already in operation. And prior to that time, it was all twine and chickens and fertilizer. And when they discovered oil in southern Indiana, they said, hey, let's build a refinery. So when you look at it just from Come a history. On. Yeah. So it's a, the, the farmers go and say, hey, let's build a refinery. I love it. They built it down in, in Posey County, which is in the southwest part of the state. We have access to uh, the Ohio River. The first refinery was only a few thousand barrels and only made like kerosene. Okay. Huh. The modern refinery is, it was kind of started b- being built up in the 50s. And then we've modified it for years and years. And now we're a 35,000 barrel a day refinery, which seems like a lot. But we're small in our industry. Okay. We have a proprietary pipeline that runs our products through the state of Indiana. So from southern Indiana all the way through uh, north of Indianapolis into Peru. 
Okay. Indiana. So we have a good footprint of products. We have crude gathering system over 500 miles of pipeline where we bring crude in that Illinois basin to the refinery. We also bring North American crudes from all over and bring it to the refinery because the Illinois basin crude production is, uh, doesn't satisfy the needs for the refinery. Uh, so we're probably, and then we also have upstream where we're producing crude oil and we run about 900 wells in the Illinois basin. And wow. then, and then we also have, uh, oil in West Texas that, uh, we, we have, uh, uh, a non-produced or a non-operated, uh, position where we have oil from West Texas. So we're probably, like I said, we're the smallest integrated oil company in the world. We go from the, we go from the ground all the way down to the customer. And then we're cooperative owned and our, our uh, members who own us are kind of our retail outlet. And so they sell our products out in the countryside. Uh, we have 125 retail stations that are branded country mark. Like I said, we have a small refinery, but in Indiana, we have a pretty big footprint. And so we have probably from a diesel standpoint and a supply standpoint, mm -hmm. we're really diesel centric from what we're doing. So diesel, lubricants, and then gasoline. But through our member retail network, we deliver a lot of diesel fuel. And we probably supply 70% or so of the farm fields in Indiana. And we, and we, and we uh, supply about 50% of the school districts in Indiana. Wow. So it's... So being a small in this, I mean, we're in a massive industry, but and we're very and we're a small refiner, but we have a very big footprint for where we're at. Matt, give us a sense. You are owned by farmers. You talked about the cooperative. I think that's fascinating. I mean, here's a here's a group of guys, ladies, selling chickens and twine, and say, "Yeah, what about oil? Looks like we found oil." But we're, we're in this era now of, you know, biofuels. We saw this, this emergence of biofuels. We've seen it for a while, but I think in the 2000s, we saw it grow. We're seeing a focus now on biofuels, biodiesel, sustainable aviation fuel, sort of the next chapter that everyone's talking about. Even Corteva. I mean, the, the plant science juggernaut, their headquarters in Indianapolis talks about, you know, they've estimated the sustainable fuel market to grow tenfold. 17 billion gallons globally by 2030. Where are we in this journey of, of biofuels, biofuel demand, and how are you seeing it at Countrymark as an opportunity for your farmers and for the business? Yeah, I mean, uh, Countrymark, we have a long history with, with biodiesel and ethanol. Matter of fact, back in 2005, 2006, we had four of the 12 direct biodiesel injection facilities at our terminals. Wow. So, I mean, we were way ahead of everybody on biodiesel for sure, because, because we're farmer-owned cooperatives. So we're looking at ways to go and is there a way to diversify into those fields? We blended ethanol and we went to 100% ethanol blending in 2008. So we've, we've had a long history of, of renewables. And actually, I was, it was interesting because I, I read your numbers on the, on the question. And with the renewable fuel standard, which kind of helped drive a lot of this renewable stuff or renewable fuels blending in the United States. I mean, we're blending over 20 billion gallons a year of renewable fuel today. Wow. So that includes, I mean, there's about 14,000 or 14 billion gallons of, of ethanol every year. And then the rest is like, is either uh, biodiesel, renewable natural gas, uh, renewable diesel, 
sustainable aviation fuel and all of those. So that's a huge market and it's a huge opportunity. Countrymark, we've looked at investments in, in biodiesel. We've looked at investments in ethanol. And uh, we've never been able to get to a threshold where we really like it. Mm -hmm. We actually have a project right now where we're going to uh, do some co-processing of soybean oil in our in our distillate hydrotreer, get real technical. I love it. I'm, a, love chemi it. I'm a chemical engineer, so I can geek <laughs> out with the best of them. Um, but uh, we're going to do some co-processing for renewable diesel. Because the, the one thing is that, and you you can read, there's a lot of money going into renewable diesel and sustainable aviation fuel. And the big companies like Marathon and Valero in our industry, you know, Philip 66, they're all investing billions of dollars into renewable diesel. And Countrymark, being small in our industry, we have to kind of keep pace. But man, we don't have billions of dollars to go and, and do these big, huge projects that they're building. So from a Countrymark perspective, we're looking at it and going saying, hey, the first step for us is, yeah, let's blend in some soybean oil into our diesel fuel and, and treat it, hydrotreat it, which means treating it with hydrogen. And when you do that for a, a natural oil, the product ends up being exactly like diesel fuel. And that's the biggest difference between like biodiesel and sustainable aviation fuel and renewable diesel. Biodiesel is a, is a process that makes a uh, product that has an ester. The sustainable aviation fuel and the renewable diesel are more like refining type processes. Okay. And so the product that you get out of that looks exactly like diesel fuel. It's the same molecule. So if you think about that, the same molecule is, comes out of soybean oil or distiller's corn oil or you know, use cooking oil as comes out of crude oil. And so they're, it's, a, it's totally intermixable, can transport it. It's the same molecule, and it has the same good characteristics of good quality diesel fuel. Incredible. Yeah. So that's where the whole, you know, this whole decarbonization and, the, and the, as we go down the road of that, this is where those, the technology has gotten to a point where the product has gotten better. Mm -hmm. from natural sources and it's able to truly use the whole infrastructure that we have that we've built up over you know 150 years in this country it is extraordinary man i want to dig into actually how the fuel gets to the pump and what it means for people here across the midwest and america we'll learn more about it right after this ag bioscience is supported by indiana farmers insurance whether your farm is your business your hobby or your passion you and your farm are one of a kind each is unique and requires just the right insurance coverage options. Indiana Farmers Insurance has been protecting farmers for more than 145 years. And together with your local independent insurance agent, today we deliver insurance solutions for your farm, business, home, and vehicles. Insurance can be complicated, so it's important to have a trusted expert who will guide you through your insurance experience. We partner with only the best agents, and like us, most of our agencies have been serving customers for generations. Beyond the basics, we have many other coverages available to match your needs. Our agency partners are experts and can tailor just the right coverages for your farm, business, home, or auto. 
Come visit us at indianafarmers.com and discover why Indiana Farmers Insurance is the right choice for you. We're proud supporters of ag bioscience, and we're here to help you protect what matters most. We're talking with Matt Smart, CEO of Countrymark. Matt, we were just talking about this evolution of the fuel industry and the innovation that's happening in it. I can't help but think of the gas station, right? Whether it's fuel, whether it's gasoline, whether it's diesel, everybody who drives a vehicle has a relationship with fuel. It's, it's how, how it works. We, we go to the gas station, we put the pump in the, the, the car and away we go. But no one really knows. I mean, you know, and your team knows, but most drivers have no clue, me included, how this works. Give us an idea of how you and the team at Countrymark are really in this unique position to get fuel from where it's originated all the way to the gas pump. Yeah, okay. That's a great question because, you know, a lot of people think that uh, that once you go to the gas station, it's just there. It's magically there. It's like your light switch. <laughs> right. And it's a, it's a lot more complex than anybody ever thinks of. If I look at it and, and just go from the beginning, because we're integrated oil company and we're, and we're owned by our members who are also our retail partners. So for us, we, we physically get oil out of the ground where we, we produce oil. Wells are 2,500 feet to 4,000 feet. We bring that oil up. It's usually one well is maybe two barrels a day. Okay. Okay. So you think about that. Our refinery is 35,000 barrels a day. And so we have to bring in a lot of crude. You got to gather it from a lot of places. There's a lot of people that work on that whole logistics of getting crude out of the ground and getting it into pipelines or trucks and getting it to where it needs to be at a refinery. So we bring all of that crude in from the ref into the refinery and not to geek out because I'm a chemical engineer, we magically we magically uh, manipulate it. But no, we what we do is we heat it up, we put it under pressure, we we rearrange molecules, and what we're trying to do is make salable fu fuels out of that crude, because crude oil in and of itself is not really good for anything. You have to you have to break it up. So we we rearrange molecules, we make gasoline, we make diesel fuel. We make a little bit of propane, like LPG, for your your uh, barbecue at home. Sure, and then we make asphalt, and our asphalt uh, that we make actually goes into roofing shingles. Hmm. So it's like if you buy Owens Corning or GAF uh, roofing shingles, you're pro and it's in the Midwest. You're probably buying our asphalt. Okay, really interesting. Yeah. So that's so that's good. And then when we take that, we we which I think sets us apart from a country mark standpoint. And this is where kind of the, the history of the whole company was about farmers getting together to make sure they had quality fuels and they had quality lubricants. And we really focus on quality a lot. So we look at the crude we bring in, we look at all the, the, the how we produce it at the refinery, and then we have our proprietary pipeline where we go and we take that fuel and we pipe it up the pipeline and we go to our country mark terminals. So we, I know that uh, that that fuel is all ours at the terminals, mm -hmm. and then we have our members who are our retail partners, and so they come and they pick up the fuel, and if it's a diesel fuel, diesel a lot of people don't understand is that it's not just Pilot or Loves on the highway. Diesel fuel is like a delivery business, so they come and they get diesel fuel. And then they go deliver it to the farm, sure. the home base fleet, the construction company, and they go and deliver that fuel to the end user customer. And we concentrate on, on the quality 
And so I know if there's a tank that's sitting out somewhere that has a country mark sticker, I know exactly where that came from. Okay. And it's the same thing with our retail where we have uh, convenience stores and gas stations. And we have, we're unique in that because we have a mix of different branded spots. What I do want to tell your, your listeners is that, hey, country mark, we have unattended fuel stations. The public can go to those fuel stations. Okay, they're open hmm. typically 24 hours a day. And if you have a credit card, you can go buy Country Mark fuel. So please, if, you, if you've gone past it and you think yeah. it's only because it's a cooperative thing and, and you have to be a member, you don't have to be a member. You can buy okay. Country Mark fuel. And, if, and a nice thing about that is that when I go to fill up my vehicle and I go to one of our stations, I know where the crude came from. I know who produced it. I know all the quality assurance that we had through it. I know how it got transported to that station, so I know it's good. And so that's the, the one thing that's really unique from a country mark perspective. And there may be a little bit of Indiana corn or Midwest corn or Midwest soybeans tucked inside there as well. There definitely will be because at our terminals, I mean, we we the the all gasoline for the most part has a minimum of ten percent ethanol, and uh, we have a few stations that do fifteen uh, percent ethanol. But uh, we know where we're getting the ethanol. It's all right. local. We get biodiesel. It's all local. So all of that's coming from our members and the people that farm in, in Indiana and then the other you know, partners with, uh, with the fuel partners that we have in the state. Well, let's talk about the ethanol piece a bit. I, we saw the rise. And I, I remember the... I think Chevy did an amazing job. They always had the green and yellow flex fuel stickers on vehicles in the late 90s, 2000s. And we saw this rise of flex fuel, a real focus on E85, but still really a fraction of the gas pumps that we see all across the country. What do you think? What, what prevented the wider adoption of E85? And as, as we look to this next chapter of fuels, where we're, we're talking sustainable aviation fuel, sustainable diesel, more sustainable fuel options, is there anything we can learn from sort of the E85 craze that I feel like never quite, never quite caught on that we could apply to this next chapter? Yeah, I mean, we we had we had plenty of E85 at offerings at our stations, and when you look at it just nationwide, there's only there's like 145 to 150 thousand fueling stations in the country. Okay, which people don't realize the scale of what we have. That's extraordinary. And there's only about 4,500 that have E85 today. Okay. And there's only about 30, I think there might be about 3000 that offer E15. Okay. Okay. And, and when I look at it, ethanol is a great product from a octane standpoint. It's a great blending component into gasoline. And I think that all that is all good. I think that what happened with E85 is ethanol has 30% less energy per gallon than regular gasoline. It's just the facts. That's just the chemistry of it. And I think with E85, if you if you had that high of an ethanol blend and you're driving around in your SUVs, which most of the SUVs and stuff were, were E85 compatible, yeah, people get less gas mileage. And so it's either that E85 has to be priced really, really uh, 30% less than regular gasoline, or people are going to look at it and say, nah, I'm not getting the, the bang for the buck so to speak. And so I think that, you know, people vote with their pocketbook and sure. that's what happens when you go to the station. So I think that's, pro that's kind of the, the, where, where that's at. I think with the energy transition and we're going and trying to, 
They're trying to get rid of the internal combustion engine in California and other places. There's threats to liquid fuels. Electric vehicles are being, you know, the, they're the, uh, the, the choice of the policymakers right now. And I think that to go and move forward with decarbonization and getting more ethanol in the blending, I think we could do something from a policy standpoint that changes the gasoline standard and the octane standard of gasoline. Mm. And what it could do is that if we went to a 95 octane, which would be like premium gas today, right. regular cars could be modified to be more efficient. Octane could be increased by using ethanol, going to 15% ethanol for like a country mark perspective. We've looked at it and said, yeah, we'd go and go to E15 throughout to meet a higher octane because that makes the most money. But we just got to get to a point where policymakers, where there's give and take between you know, yeah. refiners, ethanol people, corn lobby, you know, that there it's been the RFS has been like the third rail of our industry. If I don't say the renewable fuel standard every day, I feel, <laughs> I feel like I didn't do my job, <laughs> but, but it has, it's been, it, and it's, it's kind of like, well, we have to get to a point now from a liquid fuels industry is that, yeah, we got to come together and modify what's going to be best for going forward. And, uh, I think, I think once you get to a point where, if you move it from an octane standpoint, and then the 10% ethanol that's out there today just gets replaced with E15, I mean, that's a 50% increase in ethanol demand. Yeah, it's substantial. Which is substantial. And, but we have to get the framework in place to really kind of drive that to happen. Really, really good, Matt. And we've talked a lot. There's so many other things we can talk through, but time for one more question here. You have long been an energy innovator. Country Mark is, I mean, for a hundred years. I, I love the I love the origin story. I'll never forget that. What do you see on the horizon? Right, you, you look the last hundred years from from chickens to to where we are today. What's on the next chapter of Country Mark? What do you see in the future? No, that's a great question. Um, you know, our our members, and we just went and talked to all our members, and and they still want us around. I mean, they they love the the assured supply. They love the quality. They love to know they got, they got control of the supply chain. So really from a country mark perspective, it's we have to go and figure out how do we navigate through this energy transition. Uh, we're looking at increasing the capacity of our refinery. Once again, we're, I talked about we're looking at co-processing soybean oil and also looking at other investments in renewables to help lower our carbon footprint. We're always going to continue to innovate with our members and our people to go and have the best co-op system in the country and in the world to go and get our quality products out there. So we're going to work on people and culture all the time. And then with the energy transition, one of our values is reliability. And the thing that worries me is, and we talked about it earlier, is uh, that the reliability of the energy grid. So we're looking at ways that we can go in our refinery to make sure we're still, re we're still reliable, we can reduce our carbon footprint, and potentially go and produce our own our own electricity so we can make sure that the refinery is still running. So we're looking at those types of, of investments to make sure that we're still in the game. Because I, I think we're going to be needing diesel fuel and fossil fuels long for a long, long time. They're still going to be relevant. Because when I look at it in our, in our membership and we're owned by farmers, when they have to go and harvest, which mm -hmm. they're doing right now, 
they got to go. That's right. And when the windows are open to go and get in the field, that's when they go. Yes. And so you have to have that mobile fuel source with that heavy equipment and all the equipment that they run. And until technology replaces that, diesel fuel is going to be needed. And it's going to be needed to basically feed the world. That's right. So... High horsepower, high torque, high availability, all driving demand for diesel, no doubt. Yes. Matt, if folks want to know more about Countrymark or find one of those locations you mentioned, where can they go? Well, they can go to countrymark.com. You can look us up on the on the internet. I, I know we're going to be replacing our, our uh, webpage here soon, but you can go and find our retail, uh, all our fuels, our history. There's a lot of good information on, on uh, countrymark.com. Awesome. He is Matt Smorch. He's CEO of Countrymark. Matt, just a delight. Thanks for spending time with us. Hey, thank you. And I thank you it. for tuning in to Ag Bioscience. You can get the latest Ag Bioscience news and insights from discussions just like this by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. And while there, you can access our entire library and give us a review. Don't forget, you can always learn more online at agronovisindiana.com. On behalf of the entire Agronovis team, I'm Mitch Frazier saying thanks for listening. We look forward to seeing you real soon. This podcast is a product of Agronovis Indiana in collaboration with Inside Indiana Business. Hosted by Mitch Frazier. Produced by Kayla Chittister and Fabian Rodriguez. Photography by Kaylee Kerr. To get all ag bioscience news all the time, visit agronovisindiana.com. 